Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Well, Dad, I think this is going to be Chris and I's first podcast, so we're super excited to have you on here. I just wanted to thank you again for coming on and answering some of our questions. We're excited to start this off and certainly excited to start this off with the person that's been influential in our life the most. So super excited about that. Um, Yeah, appreciate it. Do you want to just like introduce yourself and tell us a little bit how you got started in real estate? When I was growing up, I wanted to make money, and there were two avenues that seemed reasonable, the stock market and real estate. I had a little bit of a run in the stock market that didn't do so well, so I, I went to real estate. Nice. Was there anyone that like, helped you get into real estate, or how did you find out about it? I got a real estate sales license. I just bought a, and I took real estate at Portland Community and Portland State real estate classes and then I bought a course and did it myself and passed the test and had a sales license. Awesome. Never never cut out to be a real estate salesperson. (laughs) I was going to say, what did you end up doing with that license? (laughs) It didn't last long. I think I, I listed and sold one house. Yeah. So what did you end up doing after that with real estate? What I wanted to do was invest. Really, the real the reason I I got the license was that I thought that that would give me access to good deals, which of course is crazy. The good deals don't hit the real estate market. You have to nose them out and get them yourself. And by the time they hit the real estate market, they are uh, at retail. Yeah. So, Dad, you bought and sold. Roughly about 50 or 60 houses over your career? No, I think the most I had at one time, I think I got up to about 34. Okay, but you had sold some before that and then bought some? I typically, I didn't have the cash and the capital to make lots of repairs. So typically when I experience problems with the house, I'd sell it. Yeah, my game plan was to to buy at the time you could buy houses on contract the owners would carry the paper and i would give them fifteen hundred dollars down and i always needed and wanted to make at least fifty dollars over and above piti to pay myself for my efforts cash flow and i started uh, I guess in about 1971, pretty wonderful that people would carry paper. I think we were coming out of a recession at that time, and a lot of people carried carried paper. What were you buying houses for then? The cheapest house I ever bought, I think, was 8,500. I bought a lot of them, you know, between 10 and 12, 10, 12, 13. I don't think I ever paid more than. I don't even remember paying 13. I think probably 12.5 was the most that I paid for houses back then. And uh, when, when you were buying them, what were they renting out for? A couple hundred, I think. Yeah. You know, I frankly don't remember if I could go pull a file and look, probably. 
you know, shooting for 50 uh, over and above PITI. And so, well, that's awesome. How would you go about finding these deals? What was like your favorite way to like look for them or, or obtain I, them? I, or? I looked in the paper. There was no Craigslist at that time. I would just look in the newspaper and make calls. And I, I never looked at any house that was occupied. I wanted, I'm not, you know, houses that were empty. So hopefully I had a motivated seller. I bought several houses without ever going in. I, you know, I'd drive by and make an offer subject to interior inspection and approval. And I think I only had one that I inspected and turned down. Mostly the deals would be, you know, agreed to. And then I'd look at them and said, all right, let's roll on it. Just out of curiosity, what, what, what was the one like that you turned down? It had some problems. I mean, it, it, it's been a long time, but I, you know, I think the sheetrock, I mean, it, it was it was basically, you know, a mess inside. So the outside looked better, than, a lot better than the inside. So. I know that it's kind of unique on how you put the deals together. Can you describe to us kind of like what a deal looked like for you and, and how you orchestrated your exit strategy? I bought houses that I could find when I had capital and rented them out. And then if I had uh, problems with the house, I would sell it. And, you know, I accumulated houses and rented them out. And at some point in time in the early 80s, it became clear to me that I had to get out of winters in Portland. And so I wanted to move my family and so it, selling, selling the houses I owned, typically I found I could not deal with other investors because they wanted, typically they wanted to buy wholesale and I didn't want to sell wholesale. I wanted to sell retail. And so the good Lord gave me an idea and renters act one way and owners act a different way. So I, with the help from above, I figured out that I could get a price for my house by adding in, you know, adding in quite a bit. And then I would turn around and give the renters a down payment out of the rent. And uh, after they kept the lease for three years, I would sell them the house. And it's true, owners act different than renters. And they got me retail plus price for my house. And and got me out of a lot of the management. Awesome. And then so yeah, so you would carry the carry the note for them forever? Yeah, well I originally set them up to pay out after fifteen years, but I found out that I really didn't want to get paid off and have the tax problems. When you carry paper it's an installment sale, which is good for taxes. You only pay on the small amount of principal that you get every year and for tax purposes it works good and of course I can use the income so it worked out pretty well. Nice. When it came to doing tax planning, what did you find was the the most meaningful strategy aside from installment sales? I really didn't do much tax planning. I had lots and lots of write-offs. I paid little or no taxes for years. So I, you know, 
I, I now have a CPA because things have gotten more complicated than at the time. I just did it I, yourself. Yeah. That has been a, a theme. I have a, of, I have a lot of income. I had lots of write-offs. and So not paying taxes didn't hurt my feelings any. <laughs> nice. I don't think anybody likes to pay taxes. So Yeah. So at what point in real estate did you feel like you were financially free and that you could essentially quit working? You went full-time in real estate when you were in your 30s, but... After how many years did it take for you to feel like you were financially free? I, mean, I probably was supporting myself with my real estate by the late 70s. So it took about six or seven years? Five or six, yeah. During those first like five or six years, like how hard did you work? Like kind of what was like a typical day? Well, I would look for properties when the paper came out. I played quite a bit of bridge and played some golf and... I collected rent and solved problems and, you know, my days were put up into lots of different activities and, you know, when you are in business for yourself and in rental properties, you can kind of organize things around other things, and, uh, but if you have a fire to put out, you go put it out. You're for your you always good, do you have any good fire stories, <laughs> big problems that you may have faced? I had one tenant had a wood stove and caused a fire. I ended up selling the house. So I think I got some insurance money. I don't think I ever lost any money on any of my houses, but holding them for a long time and letting them go up in value and having the renters pay them off is it's kind of the beauty of real estate. Nice. Kind of like early on in your career or like anywhere throughout, did you have any like mentors or people that you looked up to? I went into business with a fellow. I, I bought some houses with a guy that was a, re, a realtor and he was, he was a pretty crafty guy. When you say crafty, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, he had lots of experience. I think he probably was a broker, but you know, I, don't even remember how I got in contact with him. I might have looked at a house he had. Anyway, he, he liked my rent to own, and we picked up three or four houses together and made a little bit of money. So, awesome. When you became a partner with him, how did you like formalize the agreement? It was word of mouth and a handshake. And we would buy the properties. We'd both be on it, and I, I managed them with a little bit of input from him, but we held them and I think, the, you know, they got paid off. And so it was a win-win kind of a deal. And you learn from people around you and from others in the business. What made you guys go your separate ways? We ran out of houses. The, you know, the houses we owned, we got paid off in. And, you know, typically, he was buying in areas that I didn't like that much. We had a couple of houses in North Portland. And, uh, I had never really liked North or Northeast. I went Southwest and Southeast just because that's what I liked. And, you, know, <laughs> you can spread yourself all over town. And, uh, Southeast and Southwest seem like better areas. Awesome. I got a few questions here that kind of wraps up what we're talking about, but 
What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Save, spend less than you make, and invest it in real estate, I think, is probably a, a good suggestion. That is definitely sound advice. I know Chris really loves the idea of freedom and being able to do what you want. That's pretty awesome. Was real estate your first like entrepreneurial endeavor or did you do, was there anything else? What was your first like entrepreneurial? I dabbled a teeny bit in the stock market, but you know, it wasn't productive. Yeah. Didn't make any money in the stock market. You know, real estate, you can buy it and sell it and rent it. So you have a lot of control over real estate. If you buy a share in a company, you have no control. Yeah. How has your formal or informal training kind of shaped your journey? Well, I have a degree in economics and a degree in real estate appraisal. And, you know, I've taken real estate classes and been a sales agent. And I guess it all comes together and you learn and grow and develop and you try things. If it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, don't do it. <laughs> right. And then last question. What was kind of your Moby Dick of real estate? Like, what's what's the one that got away? Oh, I had two houses in southwest Portland, up just up from the river. And the guy wanted 2000 down. And I, my game plan was to only put down 1500 And so I didn't buy them. But they, they were up on the hill just above the river. I mean, they... They've built condominiums there since, but the price wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't the price. It was just a little bit extra down payment, and I let it get away. And I <laughs> often regretted that, but I didn't have a lot of money. I was living on what I was making, and, you know, I didn't have access to capital. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't have a lot of access to capital and they're looking for ways to get into real estate and just kind of kind of get in the game. So, I mean, other than capital, is there anything that you would have done differently today with that deal now that you have more experience? Well, I would have, if had the extra $500, I'd have bought both of those houses in a heartbeat. So, yeah, it's, you know, you do the best you can with what you have and I, you know, feel blessed that, you know, I was able to buy some houses and they went up in value and renters paid them down and then I rent to own them and then the renters are paying me on a contract. So it's all a source of income, which allows me to pay my bills. Yeah. The rent to own contract is, I, I think, a, a great mechanism too. I, I have I have an attorney that I knew and I had him I had him do the lease and the contract. So Mike Gilbert that I the real estate guy that I did it two or three houses with changed the lease a little bit. I was picking up some of the repairs over above a you know, a particular amount and he said well, let's just not do pick up any repairs. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. That kind of was a blessing to uh, get out from under. But I still, love, you know, if I have somebody that has a problem and I have the ability to help them, I usually do. Yeah. For the most part, right. they do everything. And then uh, 
I know Chris and I can say firsthand that you've got a huge heart. So there's no doubt about there's no doubt about that. Just for fun, I can tell you how when I had a an empty house that that I was tired of renting, my ad would read "Fix up, rent to own," and it didn't matter if it needed a lot or nothing. The fix up seemed to get me the right people people that were willing to do things. I didn't want anybody that wanted everything done for them. So the fix-up rent-to-own seemed to be a useful label for me to put out. And then I would would always screen people, and I, I didn't worry so much about their credit because, you know, there's a lot of good, hardworking people out there that can't save any money. They'll never own a house. But they pay their bills and they pay their rent. So having a good rental history and having a job were usually enough to cause me to do business with them. And uh, I mean, Absolutely. It's, I remember you telling me about these growing up. And I mean, it certainly seems like a win-win deal. It's, you know, it's not a program for everyone, but like there's no. certain people out there that are going to benefit a ton for it. Like it's going to be their only opportunity in life to actually own a home. And, and why would they not pay me? Because this is the only opportunity. That yeah. Have to, I have some nice letters in my files from a couple of people or a couple of families that, that were able to get a leg up and they sold their rent to own and bought another house. And we're very, very happy for the opportunity. That's amazing. I'm going to definitely have to see those next time around. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, it filled a particular bill for me and got me a good price for my house and got me out of the management and let me take my family to Tucson, Arizona, where the sun shines. Yeah, I think that was the key to the strategy for you is the benefit of not having to do repairs, not having to manage the property since the tenant was actually going to be the homeowner. And it was almost like a triple net lease where the tenant is paying the taxes and they paid you back for the insurance, correct, too? No, I paid taxes and insurance. And it was all, you know, it, the, well, once it goes to a contract, I still pay the taxes. I take one-twelfth of the taxes and add that into their payment. Yeah, so it's they reimburse you for it. That's kind of uh, the triple net. It's part uh, of their I, you, you don't want taxes are kind of important that they're paid and when you're carrying property, having the taxes as part of the payment is, is a good idea, in my opinion. And one thing that was unique about your contract is that you remained on title. So if the yeah, contract I, got violated, you didn't have to foreclose. You do have to foreclose on the contract. But the, the contract of sale, the title's not vested into the the vendee until the contract's paid. So they that means they can't go borrow a bunch of money on the house because they don't have title. So. I remember a couple times when we were younger where we went to a property that had been abandoned. I think one in Tucson, specifically on Hedrick. And I mean, how many times did that happen? Like you've had a contract and the homeowners who were paying their bills for like years ended up 
you know, skipping on the deal and wasting, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars that they had paid building up that credit, all right, that credit and that, you know, and making those down payments. Right. You know, there are a number of people that don't, don't exercise, you know, and then also you have three years to look at them. If they don't pay you, you obviously aren't going to sell them a house. So So in your contract, there was a three-year lease period where... The three they rented, and then then they could convert that right. lease to own into, into a, a land sale contract. That is correct. So I guess my question is, how many like tenants that converted to being homeowners through the land sale didn't follow through with the deal? It's pretty high. I would say 75 or 80%. That ended up closing on the property? Right. And... So only about 20% ended up giving you the house back. Correct. And of course, that was wonderful for me because I would turn around and do it again for more money. Exactly. And they've been taking care of the house too. Yeah. And I had one, one that went to a contract of sale that I got back. So, so after, after three years, they exercised the contract. And then like a year or two years later, they're just like throw yeah. their hands up and say, you have it? Yeah. I don't know, they, they broke up or, you know, it just, they could no longer do it, but it was fine because I, again, turned around and redid it for more money. So. Yeah, good for you. Okay, so there were about 20% didn't make it through the lease period, is what you're saying. I, I then, had some that, that I would have sold to, but they, they opted not. To they they opted not for, for whatever reason. And then there was only one person out of who bought and I took it back so ended up abandoning the house I don't recall the details I don't recall having to go through a big court battle I think they just gave it back to me yeah but I you know what one out of how many was it like 30 one out of 25 20 25 30 I don't I've had a number of people that haven't kept the lease well enough that I'm unwilling to sell to and often keep them on as renters as long as they pay me. So when they they don't exercise the option to buy, I usually allow them to stay. So that is a really high conversion rate. I feel like you know, it's well, ninety six percent or ninety seven percent. Very good deal. I mean, the, the people that I'm dealing with are. Again, they pay their bills and they work hard, but they can't save money and never will save money and therefore will never own a house. It's a really, really powerful, I mean, if with a conversion rate that high, like that is, it is yeah. an extremely powerful. And uh, they, they don't, they rarely ever quibble about the price. I mean, it's a matter of how much a month and you know, I, I get a retail plus price for my house. Of course, I'm giving them a down payment, so you have to build that back into the price. But you're giving them 200 to 300 a month for. We'll we'll share one of your contracts on the show notes, so that everybody can have a peek at it, just so that they know what we're talking about. Yeah, a lot of good things with the rent to own well, method. You're doing something for for people. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a certain aspect of like giving back to the community and you know providing an opportunity. It's a really like Chris was saying, it's just powerful. Oh, super impressive. 
I was doing something the government ought to be doing. I was helping people on the house. Yeah. Don't want the government to do it. I when people would come to me and ask me if I took Section Eight, I said, "No, I'm sorry, I don't do government programs." <laughs> Excellent. Well, guys. It was certainly different times back then. Yeah. For sure. AJ and I have learned so much from you. You know, in my past 36 years, I guess one question I have, and like, I honestly believe that this is probably one of the most important things that you taught us was just the ability to save money and invest it. Where did you learn that? That's just not a very common, like, or popular. I grew up with it. My father worked very hard, but he saved money and he always wanted to be in business for himself. And he was an entrepreneur and that, you know, he taught me you pay your bills first and live on what's left. And, Saving money is anyone can be a success if they spend less than they make and save money and invest it and start a business or buy real estate or you know, it can even be done in the stock market. Real estate's a hands-on and for people that, that want to have control over their investment, single family homes are a good way to go. I would often buy a house and live in it, and then when I moved to another house, I would keep the house and rent to own it or rent it. Or I didn't just sell and flip into another house. I turned them into, a, into an investment. But working hard and paying your bills and saving money and learning, you know, you guys keep learning and growing, and you learned a lot in school, and you're learning a lot in business. Doing well. I always remember you telling us that single family homes were awesome because you always had a market. Like everyone needs a place to live and it's easy to get out of because people want to, you know, you can sell to the retail person too. Yeah. So easy to buy, easy to sell, and easy to rent. Yep, yep. That was exactly right. If you want, which you guys are good at. I never had the access to capital to do that particular aspect of it but i see a great deal of value in it oh cool yeah value add investing that's kind of been our bread and butter yeah well, but it, it all started from saving your money and investing well save your money and work hard and be smart and be fair Leaving a little bit on the table for the other guys always been something that I like to see happen. But the win-win is is nice. It's important. Yeah. That so, is for sure. Well, thank you so much, Dad. We really appreciate it. I was thinking about when we were going to, you know, start doing these podcasts. And I was like, you know, the person that I want to, like, have be the first episode is the person that got us into this and taught us the most. So. That is you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for teaching us. We yeah. really appreciate it. Like, we would not be here without being from you. <laughs> yep. Just and, uh, can't express the gratitude. So thank you, Dad. It's been a blessing to do all I could. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.